Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. This is Alan Averill. This is Agitators Anonymous. Whatever day, whatever week, whatever month, whatever year it is. If you know the answer to that, raise your hand. I quite like the idea of doing all the podcasts from now on in in that old school British Pathé Newsreel voice. It would make me quite content, quite happy, something quite relaxing about the tone. Maybe everyone could do it in that voice. Anyway, yeah, if you do know where we are, please send an answer in on a postcard and just put it, Alan Averill, 1947, on the postcard or something like this. Um, <clears throat> so, my friend remarked to me last weekend, he said, it's like living in a really boring communist country. That hasn't had revolution in ages. Or words to that effect. You know, I mean, he was taking the piss. But he did have a kind of a point in that it's all a bit like a dull country behind the Iron Curtain that nobody ever heard of. The Republic of Mezkistan or something like this. Where the highlight of the week is meet Victor at a... Meet Victor for beer and discuss new machinery technique for tractor factory. Or something like this. I'm also available for um, cartoon voiceovers if anybody needs any special work done. Um, as I may need a new job very, very soon. But yeah, it just feels like we're sort of drifting along. It feels like we're just again in this holding pattern. 
running out of gas, running out of petrol. Nobody's really quite sure. In Ireland, our government are very cautious about what to do. I feel people are really, really fatigued with trying to get their head around what's happening. As the fact is that we aren't going to be able to get rid of this, like rid, rid, rid of this. There's never going to be like no cases. So yeah, we're just drifting along. It is what it is. Um, the last few podcasts have been a little bit more in depth, have offered me the chance of researching things a little bit more. And I have to admit that I've been really enjoying making them a bit more specific. And I think the idea is that if you trust me to come up with something interesting, that you're going to find my take on it relatively interesting. And thanks for listening to that, because the numbers keep growing and growing and growing, and that's very cool. It's good to see that there is some upward mobility with the podcast. But again, at the end of the day, it still is just speaking in an empty room. Um, however, for what it is, doing that extra bit of research, I think, is quite an important thing. I've got a few on the boil, a few cooking. I've got one about visiting the killing fields in Cambodia. I've got one about Alan Turing and I've got one about the Knights Templar. In fact, they're all half finished but my brain just unraveled at that halfway point and none of them came to completion. However, I do realise that I had asked people to ask me questions and that I would answer them. And I then realised that I'd ignored them all. So maybe with this podcast, let's just see where it goes. I will go and look at some of the questions people have asked me and try and answer them um, and try and get to all of them. I'm not going to read out your name but you might recognize some of your questions in some of them. So first things first, someone asks me, why don't I talk about politics anymore? Or why don't I, I think what they meant was, why don't I engage in huge, big, fiery debates on Facebook anymore? And the answer is that I just became entirely fatigued with it in that it was only bringing me, neg you know, it was only... It was only creating a very negative mental state. I was waking up in the middle of the night to finish arguments. And I mean, what really is arguing about politics online anyway? It's slinging shit into a sewer, isn't it? I mean, the way things are now, nobody ever says, oh, yeah, good point. You changed my mind. Well argued. Nobody ever says that point. Nobody ever says that. Even when you're in possession of facts, the polarization is so strong. People are more inclined to just double down based on who you are. Because conceding that you might have a point will mean conceding ground to whatever they perceive where you are from. And I also don't feel that it's everyone's entitlement to know everything about me. I understand that there is a certain paradox to that when you're doing a podcast, when you're broadcasting so much information about yourself and your opinions out into the ether, not knowing who is taking them up, not knowing how they can be weaponized against you. Realistically, I have 25 plus years of interviews and things I've said and done um, that if somebody really wanted to find something contentious, I'm sure they could. But to be hung as a middle aged man for what you said when you were 19 or 20. Ah, there are people who, there are people who will revel in that fact. And maybe I can do a whole podcast about cancel culture and what it represents. But realistically, the objective of cancel culture is just to shut the debate down, to shut everyone down. And it's about power. And it's about, well, it's also about economics. But when are things not about power and economics? 
But I closed down my own Twitter. I got rid of it. I felt better for it. I don't have a Facebook feed. Um, I mean, in reality, I would really like to not be on Facebook anymore. And I do know that during this lockdown, we all spend, I think, way too much time online. Uh, at the beginning of all of this, I echoed many people's sentiments that I thought maybe the seriousness of the situation and the gravity of what it represented potentially would bring people together. But I, along with many other people, misjudged that, misjudged it spectacularly. And the reality was that people just dug down. They doubled down, they tripled down, they quadrupled down. <clears throat> and no one was going to change their mind. And because they had so much free time on their hands, the algorithm literally, the algorithm, the algorithm, uh, the algorithm literally was rubbing its hands with glee, saying to itself, ah, a captive audience. And so everyone just became entrenched in their own virtue signaling or their own, you know, being forced their own politics. So in the algorithm, very careful of playing you, playing your outrage and playing your response to these things. So why don't I engage in huge big debates anymore, to be honest? And the reality is that if I was at a festival and doing a live podcast, I would quite happily debate somebody in person. Um, I mean, the opportunity is now there maybe to debate somebody on Zoom who disagrees with me. That's highly possible. But what I do find often is that the people who disagree with you don't want to debate you. They don't want to talk to you because either they're, they don't, either they perceive you as one thing, they'll perceive you as from one side of the political divide and that being just even hearing your opinion or being on the same platform or they call it adjacent to you um, is not what they want to do. So on those terms, often it can be difficult to speak to somebody who disagrees with you. Um, I personally, in real life, well, in my previous real life as a real life human boy traveling into space on a rock with no purpose, um, a real life human boy, um, I often engaged or would go out of my way to talk to people who people I disagree with. I mean, I have friends on the left and I have friends on the right and I have friends who just like tits and football. So, you know, what are you going to do? I can argue about the offside rule. That's no problem for me. I can find the source of a debate in anything. Do you like, I don't know, king crisps, tater crisps. This could be a big debate. You know, we don't have to always talk about the Korean War or proxy wars between the United States and Russia in the 1950s or the balkanization of blah 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 I completely understand that people are fatigued. They're really fatigued about politics. And when, you know, when all of the riots and protests started in the USA, many people were asking me, like, well, are you going to talk about this? And I, I said, well, I am entitled to not have an opinion about this or I'm entitled to keep my opinion to myself. We are entitled to theoretically some privacy. Although today I heard, today I was listening to Joe Rogan talk to some guy and ask or to exclaim, come on Elon Musk, come on Elon Musk, invent that, um, whatever that interface, so we can tell when people are lying. Which theoretically is a terrible idea because 
white lies and small things like that help the world go round? If if you only ever knew exactly what everybody was thinking all of the time, can you imagine what a hellscape that would be where you had no privacy to your own thoughts? I mean, this is the potential future, but what a hellscape that would be. And I'm glad that probably when that's kicking into full gear, I'll probably be dead. Who knows? Um, or I'll be just a brain in a jar logged into um, logged into some interface somewhere or other. Who knows? Um, <clears throat> anyway. What am I talking about? Yeah, exactly. What am I talking about? Why don't I debate all those things anymore? I'm willing to debate. I'm willing to talk to people. Um, but of course, when you start a podcast, when you start to throw messages out into the ether, you don't come out all guns blazing, laying it down. I didn't want to become like a um, a kind of YouTube talking head where you become, you become beholden to, to having to have outlying opinions all the time in order to get clicks, which I don't think I have personally. I don't think I have necessarily those opinions. Some people might disagree. Some people might agree. But as with most things in reality, we are nuanced human beings who can hold two seemingly contradictory points of view. You can be pro one thing and against another thing. You can take a little from column A and column B, which is traditionally what people did until column A and column B stopped speaking to each other. So the reality is that doing the podcast wasn't a platform for my politics. I wanted to make it silly, witty, insightful, um, maybe make a few people think about a few different things. But I didn't want it to be blood and thunder um, political rhetoric. I mean, who needed that right at the time? And also... You know, this 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 mantra that silence is violence. I mean, this is not true. You're not in you don't you're not compelled to give your opinion about something. And also, if you're not in possession of all the facts. Then what is the purpose of always giving your opinion about everything? I mean, that's part of the problem in modern society. It's part of the problem that we're in as a society, a polarized society is that we all just vomit forth our opinion. And this is the derangement caused by social media, in my opinion. The narcissistic, selfish derangement, which has generated an entire... Well, it hasn't really generated a generation, but I suppose we can roll with that awful piece of English. Um, it has created a generation of people who believe that every opinion is worth something, even if it had only took even if it only took them three seconds or five seconds to vomit forth. Someone posted on our Twitter, ah, 10 minutes in, this guy's a moron. And I thought to myself, well, good for you. Good for you for making a knee-jerk judgment and then vomiting it out into the world. There you go. Well done. Well done, sir. And that is sort of where we are. So if we understand that the very nature of social media itself is to make that knee-jerk comment, share, outrage, anger, then silence is not violence. Silence can be contemplation. Silence can be assessing facts. Silence can be an admission that you simply don't know what to think. And if at the end of the day, all we are doing is sitting at a screen all the time, taking in information, then of course we are privy to the distortion of our own algorithm again. Um, if somebody would like to make a donation every time I say, you know, or algorithm, then I'm sure I would have about seven old English 
doubloons at this stage. Um, <clears throat> so what am I talking about? Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I don't really discuss that. Um, and there was a time where I think everyone felt it. Everyone, every every story was about activism and racism. Every story, every podcast. And I just thought, really, is this what's needed? Another me banging the tin pot in the background of all the other people playing, uh, making a noise about it. And the truth is, in the fullness of time, I think I'm going to address um, some of those subjects. But maybe it was just a good idea to let the clamour die down a little bit. And also, I'm just a singer of a heavy metal band. No, I'm not a historian. I'm not a politician. I'm just a singer in a heavy metal band with a few opinions about a few things, who's been a few places. And that's what forms those things. So, it's also not your entitlement to know everything that I think. I think that's one of the things that people forget. And I remember uh, reading a paper by a Swedish... Um, I suppose he was a social media commentator and he said that people have to realise that what in the beginning things like Hotmail or our emails were sold to us as our privacy, our pri private emails. But we've had to realise as people, as human beings, that if I'm going to meet somebody in a park and have a discussion, that's now private. Um, if you turn your phones off and are outside... That's the most private conversation you can have, yet it's in the most public context. Realistically, what was sold to you as being private is now public. So on those terms, um, it is better maybe to keep your powder dry. And no, that's not a reference to last week's podcast, which some of you found very amusing. My um, stupid week spent in America, uh, if you haven't listened to it, uh, maybe go and have a listen. It'll give you a little indication of how, what a dumb 30-year-old I was. But that's life. And if you have no stories, what are you? What sort of, what measure of the man if he has no stories to tell? So that's one answer, is that, yes, I might get to certain things, but no, I didn't want to set out the podcast based on those things. Um, and also I like rambling I like making no sense uh, th this is the thing is that we are and I think one of the things I find fascinating about so much of modern social media and so many people on the this let's say the cancel culture side of things is this if you were to talk to them in person and say to them hey do you believe in the death penalty they'd go no of course not okay so you don't believe in the death penalty do you believe in rehabilitation for people who commit crimes yes but you don't believe in redemption or rehabilitation for people who have made a tweet that you disagree with um well to me that's a massive contradiction and it makes no sense the idea that one word or one sentence on a social media platform could literally spell you being expelled from the village that you could literally have the ability to feed your children taken from you based on an out of context sentence from 10 15 20 years ago this is no way to create um, a society because what happens to all the people you expel from the town square eventually they march on the town with pitchforks and they burn that square to the ground that's eventually what happens so if you subscribe to an element of cancer culture if you troll if you delight in the mob ripping somebody to pieces remember that the very nature of this conversation is that eventually it comes for you I always find that fascinating with people who I've speak to at a venue and they tell me with 
kind of delight. Oh, we stopped XX band playing here last month. And I would say to them like, well, what happens when the people further than you cancel the band that you like? Um, the fascinating revelation that many people think that cancel culture, or let's call it for what it is, censorship, which I think is the cornerstone of tyranny and the midwife of stupidity. But censorship is like an Orwellian bridge to some form of dystopian future we've already entered. And we watched, I watched last weekend, uh, a video of young masked people flinging burning Bibles, flinging Bibles into a big fire. Now, that's a quite a secular statement, an atheistic Maoist statement, but I noticed they weren't burning Korans. Might have been a different story. But we know who burned books. Anyway, what am I rambling about? What am I talking about? I always find it fascinating that people who wish for the cancelling of other people always feel that the book stops with them, that they will get the ultimate choice. But it doesn't work like that because the powers above wherever you have positioned yourself will always come for whatever it is that you champion eventually. That's the very nature of the beast, so to speak. So, what am I saying? Cancel me and I'll come back with a pitchfork? Who knows? But certainly some people will. Right, what am I talking about? Questions. Questions, questions, questions. Many you ask. So let's have a look at them. What primordial song would you contribute to a crap hits of all time compilation? Well, the answer, short answer is... None, really. I like all of the songs. I'm not embarrassed or ashamed of any of the records. In fact, um, I can position them all and myself in a place and time in my life. And so they all represent different things. I don't feel embarrassed or ashamed of any of them. I am, I'm not embarrassing in any of the lyrics. And considering I'd written a few of them when I was 16, that's not bad. Of course, when you're 16, 17, 18, you have some... Let's just say the impetuosity of youth is very strong. And you're at that position where you think you understand the world, but yet you have never paid a bill. You know, you haven't traveled anywhere. You haven't really done anything. You haven't worked a proper shift. Um, but yet you're not an adolescent. You're on the cusp of, uh, I suppose you could say, the second stage of adulthood. So no, I, am, I don't really have any of those. Um, the story behind doing backing vocals live for Destroyer 666, Lone Wolf Winter at Partisan. Um, well, I'd done it on lots of occasions. I just happened to make a fool of myself on that particular stage uh, in front of more people online than I did before. So that's maybe why you saw it. Somebody asks me about touring the States. Well, I extensively answered touring the States way, way back in episode four I think it's called Ramble On. If you want to go and find it, the second half of that, I, I discuss and deconstruct the mathematics of touring. And look, it's difficult. You need a working visa, three, four thousand euro. You need your flights. You need to print your merch. The venues come looking for merch commission from you. Yeah, you could be 10,000 euro down in the hole before you've played a show. That's the problem. Anyway, go back and listen to that one there and you'll find that. Um, 
In your opinion, a most underrated band or song that you think nobody knows about but should? Well, my favourite heavy metal album of all time is Holy Terror, Mind Wars, which I think is one of the most underrated metal records of all time. Well, I would do, seeing as it's my favourite record. But yeah, go and check that out. At the moment, there's a band from Finland I love called Havokrunu, and I think that they're making some of the most amazing, uplifting pagan metal that you can find at the moment. Yeah, they're overrated, if, or they're ugh, underrated, if you want. If Exile Amongst the Ruins is 2018, can we expect a new release in late 2020? No, you can't. In early 2021? No, you can't. But maybe in middle or late 2021, possibly. Um, we're considering starting in September with new songs. Have I ever thought about letting Simon sing a primordial song? Well, Simon is a very good singer, but he's a traditional singer. He has a kind of very good memory for those old Irish trad songs. Um, and if we made like an acoustic album, then Simon should sing a song. There's absolutely no doubt. I think that if you listen to the All Together We're For One and Home or whatever the compilation was that the Druk guys in Seasons of Mist put together, you can find Simon singing a version of the Foggy Jew, which is really good. So, how did I come to work as an A&R? And how to or as a booking agent? Um, I suppose that was basically just being around the industry all the time, festivals every summer. Um, you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. And people understand that you know everyone. You have, I suppose, what would have been called back in the 70s, the 80s, a black book of contacts. Um, and it just seemed to be the kind of thing that you would fall into if you were in the industry all the time, that you would end up working within it. Now, of course, right now, in these circumstances, this seems like a terrible decision because you've basically put all your eggs into the, into the pandemic basket. I've said it before on the podcast, and I, you know, anybody who's been listened to me discuss the music industry in other podcasts is probably sick of me talking about it. But the reality is that for... Sound engineers, lighting engineers, crew, caterers, bouncers, security, bar staff, before we even get to the bands, the drivers, the everything. This is an, people don't really, at least I don't see any discussion in the mainstream media of the potentiality for the collapse of live music, the collapse of counterculture, which is what really worries me because the Ed Sheeranization of our modern mainstream culture can survive uh, any cunt with a, an acoustic guitar can sit in the corner and play drab pop music to people sitting eating their dinner and our government i think would probably say hey look there's live music for you what are you talking about and you can go online of course anybody who's listens listen to me talk about purpose agency achievement um, movement understands that this is of course the death knell for what we are, rock and roll, for bands, for touring, for playing live. So, like many people, all we are doing is still in this holding pattern, wondering what society will come out the other side, or what culture will come out the other side. Um, so, yeah, complicated. Um, who do I think is going to win the election in America? Wow, okay. Um, again, I haven't mentioned the T word through all these podcasts. I mean, look, 
If you elect a clown, expect a circus, right? I mean, there's a theory that we get the politicians we deserve, but this is something else. Um, I don't know. I mean, realistically, by now, the crazy situation that the world is in, it really needs a steady, even hand on the tiller. It doesn't need either a circus announcer, and I don't think it needs hardcore activists either who wish to tear everything down. It's It needs a steady, even hand to just place a little bit of calm on people because I think that if we're in the situation like we are right now, next summer, I think people are going to want to go and tear the pavements up with their bare hands. Um, they need People need definition and purpose. They need an end in sight. And even if that means in the West we have to accept risk as part of our life, as part of our um, as part of things that maybe other parts of the world accepted in their day to day, then that then so be it. If the alternative to that is just lockdown for years and years and this sort of, as I said, oh, you know, today I meet Victor. We will go for a walk by canal. I see, uh, I see Swan. I hit him with brick in head. We eat Swan for dinner. It is highlight of week. Am I allowed to make that voice? Not sure. Anyway. Swans are very aggressive, actually. Anyway, point being, if terrible Trump wins, I think uh, we could be looking at some really, really serious upheaval. I think we could be looking at something, some real civil unrest. <clears throat> um, and as for the other guy, uh, well, I mean, look, Weekend at Bernie's, I guess everybody's waiting to see who he announces as his, uh, as his running mate because they're going to get the job if he wins pretty soon because they're going to they're going to retire him they're going to press the shutdown button you know i don't know i just really hope that we manage to find a more calm and even solution but you know i'm a pessimist this is my this is my job this is my job um and so it looks pretty it looks pretty gloomy to me but then again, at the moment, I think everything looks pretty gloomy. It's just such a terrible shame that there wasn't a third way in American politics. Because the reality is that I think the system was all fine and well until it became apparent that if you just have enough social media following and go to people, hey, vote for me, you could get President Kanye very easily. Um, but I do sense the will among certain people to want to throw rocks at it, to destroy it with voting for Trump before, to, you know, drain the swamp or whatever all that nonsense was. I sense people are really fatigued and tired. But, look, I don't live there. Which is why I tried to talk to Josh about the whole situation. Rather than just proselytize and just waffle on with my own opinion based on whatever I was taking in from a screen or talking to my friends in America. But, if you're, if you... If you will, if you will, will revolution into being, be careful in a country that has 350 million guns in it. I don't know. Anyway, like I said, I'm just a singer in a heavy metal band. What do I know? What do I know? Seneca or Aurelius? I often talk about Stoicism. Um, which do I prefer? Well, that's a complicated question. Seneca or Aurelius? Well, maybe... Seneca gives me more existential hope 
whereas Marcus Aurelius gives me more practical hope. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, I think that kind of sums it up. Um, I will try and do a podcast on Stoicism. Um, I, I, I do try to examine my own relationship to what Stoicism means because I know that as somebody who doesn't, as I've said maybe three or four times, I don't admire extremities of emotional stasis. I don't admire, um, I don't think it does good to bring heightened emotions into a sense of observation or judgment of a situation. So I dis I kind of admire dispassionate analysis of a situation. Maybe it's because I've always been quite interested in mathematics or probably someone would say I'm on the spectrum. I don't know about that. Um, but I will. I will maybe take a podcast and examine some of those things. Oddly enough, interesting to note how much Nietzsche disliked Stoicism. Thought it was a bit of a cop-out. Did old hot for Nietzsche. So maybe I can look at that as well. Is Stoicism toxic masculinity? Um, isn't everything toxic masculinity? If a man wrote it, sir. I, I don't know. I, I'd have to think about that quite considerably. Have I read the book The Age of Surveillance Capitalism? No, I haven't, is the short answer. Although I do know the tech giant's incursion into and domination of daily life, distortion of democracy and our sense making of the world. Well, there's a question, huh? I do think that a lot of people now misuse the word capitalism. Um, they apply it to literally anything they disagree with. It's the same thing as calling everyone who disagrees with you a Nazi. Free market capitalism is, def is difficult to, for example, um, unregulated capitalism. There are differences in these terms. I mean, originally, what does capitalism mean? It's the, it's the mechanisms of trade, which we have to acknowledge you know, is where society moved after the Industrial Revolution to allow regular working people freedom from the feudal system or the monarchical system and to be able to develop elements of trade between peoples, i.e., oh, you make shoes, I make shelves. Okay, we can, do you barter, do you trade, or do you work out what each is worth in relation to um, demand? Maybe it's a very simplistic way of looking at originally what capitalism meant. My point being, though, that I think people just overuse the word and they apply it to everything that they think they dislike. And I see the destruction of capitalism in many people's current, you know, it's like a sort of a Twitter bio, like a cool thing to write. But yet they've benefited their whole lives from that system or they've been to colleges, been educated um, the they benefit from the industrial, electrical, all the mechanisms of capitalism. And when they espouse its destruction, I always say things like, well, you know, like who works the electricity grid? If you want to destroy society, destroy capitalism, and let's have anarchy, which I think is um, a utopian ideal. But like who has their finger on the nukes in an anarchist society? Anybody know who, if you're an ambulance worker, who works in hospitals, who who will drive ambulances into, into areas that have no uh, security in them, um, who works the electricity grid, who delivers food, who delivers the post, who delivers the mail. I think as an idea, you know, I once read the book, um, the biography of Crass. Um, I did a, a paper on Crass. I was very interested in late 70s, early 
80s anarcho punk basically because i kind of hated 77 punk i just thought it was you know um middle class art students masquerading at dress up which i still do maybe i should do a podcast about that but i read the biography of um or the you know diaries of crass and their communal anarchist system worked when they had the farmhouse or whatever on the countryside and at 30 40 people but slowly but surely even in that small group of people hierarchy started to form and of course at the heart of anarchy is destroying power structures so imagine that on a city-wide scale um i just think it's a it's a it's a kind of cool thing to say destroy capitalism well or tweet destroy capitalism the paradox of those two different things not being self-evident to the person tweeting them um it's complicated it's complicated i mean once you remove the barriers once the regulations on any of these things so i like i would always say there's a difference between the capitalist ethos and for example the unregulated uh, free market that caused the the crash or the crisis in 2008 i think they're different things but i think also again people will apply the word to things that don't really mean that does that make any sense no probably not or i could have just said I didn't read the book. Somebody asked me to do a commentary on Redemption at the Puritan's Hand. I did it. It's a video cast up on the band's YouTube channel. Story about the most interesting places you've seen on tour. Not drunken stories. Not drunken stories. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, but more on people, culture, architecture, outstanding objects, cities. As if I was working in a travel company who's trying to sell you places to visit. Wow, well. I'm afraid that wouldn't be much of a job right now, would it? No, it wouldn't be. Um, well, I've seen so many amazing places. I mean, the thing about prior to the lockdown is that I never took this for granted. Maybe 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, I would have taken it more for granted when all I was really, you know, you're singing, you're singing, you're doing whatever, but it's also about hanging out, the party, the sex and drugs and rock and roll and blah, 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 blah whatever that is. Then the last couple of years, traveling to like, you know, walking through across the gangway in Buenos Aires airport or landing in Santiago or, um, you know, walking around the streets in a small town in Mexico seemed I really was a, felt I was drinking in the experience quite gorgeously. Is that the word? I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't take it for granted the last couple of years. Um, and I regret some of the places we didn't get to. Um, I, I loved being in Russia. St. Petersburg is one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. It's staggering. And I went there when it was freezing cold and snowing and had a very odd experience for a week, week and a half in Russia. Um, some of those middle towns in the middle of nowhere in Russia. Ooh, that, and this can be, gr can be grim place to go, you know, to go to uh, Novgorod or Pormf. Yeah, yeah. You want to try that in minus 25. Anyway, I think also Cambodia, Vietnam, very interesting places. I always was fascinated with Vietnam. I mean, the Ken Burns documentary, which is about 20 episodes long, is possibly the greatest thing ever. If you can find it on Netflix and I, I devoured the whole thing in about four or five days, it's absolutely mind boggling. And I think gives you a very good indication as to why America 
is going through some of the problems maybe it is now that they have roots in Vietnam. This is the first time I think that maybe where the American dream was shown to have some cracks in it and mistrust between the people and their institutions of state and the media and this kind of thing. Um, Vietnam, Cambodia, absolutely amazing place. Absolutely staggering. I suppose um, I visited Easter Island, um, which I really should do a whole podcast on. I think people are really interested and curious about that. But, you know, I can also be fascinated with downtown Detroit or, you know, downtown downtown Montreal, Edinburgh, you know, um, small towns in the north of Norway. Everywhere has something, somewhere, somebody interesting in it. And um, without travel, without movement off this rock, that's one of the things I find the most difficult to cope with. I think I could be, I think I could just about be um, a YouTuber, like a, a traveling, traveling YouTuber, is that a thing? I don't know, travel writer, something to do with just constantly moving. That could give me or satisfy some of the wanderlust that feels completely curbed in this current situation. But uh, I'm very thankful to say many, many places, many, many places. Um, and I am feel, I'm not going to say I feel lucky to have seen them all, because I think you reap what you sow. And so when people say, oh, you've had this lucky life and this, that, it's like, okay, yeah, but it was also built on our creativity, our ingenuity, our our dogged persistence in not quitting making music, in being a band, in struggling through it. So you are, you do get rewarded for those things, you know. The monument to the coffin ships and where you got the song's words from. Well, I didn't get all the song's words from him. I just got the middle bit um, with nerve and muscle and heart and brain. They're lost to Ireland, lost in vain. This was on like a mass gravestone that I saw. I'd been trying to write a song about the coffin ships and about the famine for years before managing to write the coffin ships. But what I didn't want it to be was a history lesson. I didn't want it to be... In the year 1845, the blight came and the potatoes failed. And I didn't want it to be like a history lesson. Um, so I wanted to find this human angle to it, this human element. And this the idea that the idea struck me. I was This may sound really incongruous and really strange, but the idea that elephants go and find somewhere to lay down to die. And many animals do this. They know they're going to die. And so they go and find a place to die struck me as um, very, like almost something we've forgotten how to do, maybe. And so where the animals lay down to die. And I thought, how can I make this human element within the coffin ships? So the idea was that wherever you are from, that you would see yourself in this tragedy. I didn't want to make it anti-English or anti-imperialist or anti anything else it wasn't a rebel song it wasn't meant to be like that it was about um the movement of people the migration of people and the death of people and absolute tragedy and so on those terms i wanted to make it reverential to all of those people but yet not lecturing does that make any sense all right biggest non-metal influence on the primordial sound um, I suppose that's Irish traditional music, sir. Most of the other guys, I suppose I'm the least trad guy. Me and Michael are the least, 
Irish trad people in the band. I'm more of a traditional heavy metal person, I suppose. I mean, Wasp means more to me than Planksty. Um, that's just the way I grew up and the way it is. I'm not into I'm not into jigs and reels. Doesn't do much for me. I like really sad, mournful stuff. Um, like we've been using this intro for promoter for years, Liam Weldon. Um, I think it has to be the greatest piece of singing in I've ever heard. Dark Horse on the Wind, Liam Weldon. Try and find a record if you can. It's staggering. Um, so many amazing songs on it. Via Ecstasia is one of the greatest ballads I've ever heard. Whoa. I get goosebumps even thinking about it. Irish traditional music was, for the most part, the biggest influence on the primordial sound. For me, I, I always tried to um, have a little touch of the Joy Divisions and the Cures, Nick Cave, Leonard Cohen, that kind of thing. I brought a little bit of goth to the party, a little bit of, you know, the vocals in Grave and Idol are influenced by Fields of the Nephilim, that kind of thing. There was a bit of Dead Can Dance always, a bit of cinematic scape. The idea of trying to write songs that were big, big movements that were quite sort of, they didn't have a, a chorus and a this, that and the other necessarily. They were like movements of music. I tried to be into classical music for a while when I was 18 or 19, but it never really stuck. Some did, some didn't. But I listen to a lot of different kind of music that isn't metal. But as for influencing us, yeah, I suppose it's traditional music. Um, what do I think of the future of this folk revival? Uh, I'm not sure what that means. I'm, I, I imagine what you mean is um, Heilung and all these bands that have followed on from Wardruna. And I did a podcast about that, I think. The reality is, is that um, Heilung is perfect for a modern visual age. It's for people who game it's all the characters look like characters from a game um, I, 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 if you took the visual away would I listen to the music probably not but it's not bad and let's be honest if this is a groundswell of a groundswell of people who are trying to respect or reflect on their own culture tradition myth heritage then it's positive it's got to be more positive than awful misogynistic songs about murdering prostitutes or stupid gore grind or something like this don't don't set the gore grinders after me um yeah no it's got to be something positive in it, it it's 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 enshrined a strong image of femininity within the music which i think is quite um respectful i think is quite empowering i think it's good role model for lots of people as for the what the music is um i don't know i i have a feeling me and Kieran and Simon, if we were put together for five or six days, could make an album of this stuff. Um, Celtic drumming with vocally, this kind of stuff, you know, and have a feeling we could make it pretty easily. But, you know, it's about the optics and that's the world we live in. So, yeah, more power to them. It doesn't bother me. I mean, it's it's unusual and interesting to observe. And I do wonder if people like it as much as they think they do. But maybe they do. Man. What's it got to do with me? But I will say that, especially doing A&R stuff, every week you would you would be sent things like Polynesian tech death metal, which you could tell had been influenced by alien weaponry, or like this band The Who from Mongolia with 25, 30, 35 million views on their songs and huge production costs. And to me, like this, dun, 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 it sounds like Warriors of the World. It's like Man of War with, uh, and then 
they all look like they're from that awful TV program that everyone likes about the biker gang. I can't remember the name of it. Something I always think of Black Rebel Motorcycle Club for some reason because my friend likes them. But um, I'll think of it in a minute. You know the one I mean. Everybody wears t-shirts of it or they did I suppose they don't anymore um, and so there's something there's something calculated about it which is that if somebody sat down and went okay dress these people up as members of um, Skyrim and send them to X place and we do this or let's say let's make let's mix in flames and uh, Aztec culture and you put them together and made the video huge enough I think it will be popular and that points to something else that how much of this how much of these bands that follow on from the the um the people at the head of it are just you know um chance in their arm um i could do i write an album of this and pick six beautiful people and tell them go right put your body armor on paint yourselves up we're going to go make a video and you spend two or three thousand euro or 5,000 euro on the video and then, you know, that's your cue to tons of clicks and headlining a festival. I don't know if it's that easy. Probably isn't. After complaining about playing, being a screen in empty room, how do I feel about recording a performance for Metal Festival Alliance? Ah. Um, it's an old show. We didn't film something new for it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I can admit that I've done quite a lot of bitching and complaining about the concept of playing live shows in an empty room I think it's somehow soulless and depressing and I couldn't imagine putting all the gear and the paint and all this the stuff to just head out and pretend to be playing to no one if we were to do an online thing it would probably be a filming of a rehearsal with maybe an explanation of some of the songs beforehand or but if you think we're all gonna stand in a line and headbang and pretend to play live I don't think that's gonna happen it's just there's something so horribly depressing about that thought that here's your, here's where, here lies the grave of rock and roll. You know, I, I can't countenance in it, bring myself to consider it. Maybe for other people they can, but, and I've said it before and it's boring to hear me keep talking about the same thing, but um, the truth is that, yeah, I mean, if, if socially distanced gigs just become the norm, then yeah, we're, we are, um, we're done. We're out the door. I mean, Really, maybe Primordial could just about play a gig to people seated and spaced. But on what financial terms, you know, if it's a 20, 30 percent capacity room, you're having to put 300 people in a 1500 capacity room. Yeah, it's it's complicated. And it's financially unworkable. And that's not even just for us, it's for the crew. I mean, we might be able to do it with some support from the state in a venue in Ireland. But to travel somewhere? No. I mean, people keep telling me that, oh, look, the underground will survive. It'll come up stronger out of this. I don't know if it will. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But don't forget, the underground in 1986 or, you know, underground bands in 1994, there was no touring circuit. So if you want to go back to just mailing each other and trading, like, what does that mean, go back to the underground? I mean, if that just means going back to sending emails and trading files instead of writing letters and sending cassettes in the post, I don't really want to go back to the underground because the underground wasn't where we all went on tour and played festivals. The, playing live is the artery of this kind of music. Take that away and you take away its lifeblood. And OK, so the first touring, you know, for death metal and black metal bands was maybe like 
1993, but it was still very piecemeal. They weren't always doing it. Like you read stories of when Sodom started. They did a tour, I think, in 86 or 87, which is the first tour. And they're going the first three, and it was three years after they released the first EP. So there wasn't a touring circuit in 85 as we understand it now. And if sure, if you asked Millet from Creator and said, hey, Millet, do you want to go back to 1985? He'd go, no, uh, maybe 2015 would be good. And um, because there wasn't a touring and festival circuit, there wasn't, bands couldn't do this, you know, and you see, and this is not just for me in a middle-sized band, underground bands were able to go three to a van and go out and play and tour Europe to 50 people and not lose. That's gone. So what does that mean, go back to the underground? Because to me, the underground was making a fanzine, writing letters, making a demo, um, answering 30, 40 letters a day. Uh, that moment is gone. But if the alternative is just writing emails and writing music on my um, Mac in front of me here, then I don't think that that's a place I want to go back to. Now, some will say maybe you have no choice. Well, maybe so. Maybe I'll just become a serial killer instead. Watch this space. Or if anybody needs me, uh, best country to perform and why? In brackets, Finland. Well, listen, Finland has been one of the best places to play over all the years and some of my favorite and best stories are from there. But the thing about it is, and I'm very um, thankful for this or for what it was, was that Everywhere was great. Very, very few primordial gigs were just poorly attended and nobody gave a fuck. And there's been the odd one, but very rarely because we don't play that often. We play enough. But I've, what I found is that the weight of the music and what it is about, the importance of the message, so to speak, transcended the ability for people to be able to just be pa uh, completely passive or you know, not engage with us. If you thought Ramadi was boring at a festival, you're not going to come into the tent. That's just the way it is. But if you do love us, then you're properly engaged. It's not a passive band. It's not a sort of, it's not a six out of 10 band. It's not like, meh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, they were okay. Meh. Because we're not singing about nonsense. We're not singing about dragons or gore or blah, 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 blah. I mean, the indifference mentally morally emotionally that you can have to those things how could anybody really feel super fired up emotionally about i don't know a song about driving a car fast or maybe you like cars a lot i don't know how can you really get your teeth emotionally into a fantasy story about killing people with a chainsaw i don't know it, that was never an option for me the option was always it had to be about culture mythology myth tradition heritage something serious because it felt like you were um, dropping the ball on a great artistic tradition and the ability to, to transmit a, a, a message to people or to be able to try and speak to them on an emotional and intellectual level and to just waste that by going, oh, here's our album about how much beer I drink or whatever. So there we are, an hour of absolute waffle. Um, and I'll do it again and take more questions and we'll see where it goes. Maybe there's been something interesting there. Maybe there hasn't. Maybe there's been something you've disagreed with. That's fine. It's your prerogative to disagree. But you know what? Just disagree. It's fine. Um, if there's something that's offended you, remember that it's your choice to be offended. It's as simple as that.
Anyway, what am I talking about? Who knows? I think I will go back to talking like this for the foreseeable future. So I will see you all next week. Goodbye. Oh, yeah, maybe not. Uh, I didn't do any of the socials. Bloody, bloody, blah, blah, blah. I mean, look, realistically, few people have got to the 59th minute of this, but Instagram, Nemtiango underscore primordial, Patreon, my name, two capital A's. See you guys next time. Metal never bends. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.